This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Ryanair 81 Charlie Papa, wind 220 degrees, 21 knots. Straight ahead, 9 0, runway 28, clear takeoff. Bye bye. Clear for takeoff, runway 28, Ryanair 81 Charlie Papa, bye. Inside, yeah. Come on, I bring you inside, okay. <laughs> These are some of the sounds of Dublin Airport. You're listening to Gateways, a four-part radio documentary on the airport. Its people, its neighbours, its customers and all those who help make Dublin Airport special. Very welcome to this, the first episode of Gateways. Gateways is a four-part documentary on and about Dublin Airport, produced by Ger Ledden. In this programme, we hear from local historian Jerry Cooley, who speaks on the history of the airport and of its surroundings. We also speak to Dublin Airport Authority board member Niall Green, Timmy Dooley TD, members of the airport band and county architect Fanula May describes the original airport building. We also hear the opinions of some of the airport's customers. Jerry Cooley is involved in tourism as a Dublin tour guide, a local historian and a broadcaster on our own station near FM. But more importantly, Jerry, you're from Corbulus, which is the area where the, the, the airport is located. Yeah, there's a bit, there's a bit tw- sort of 26 townlands in and all around there. Th- th- that's Corbulus. I'm from this darkest town where the cemetery is and you move back up a place called Turnipin and Turnipin Little and Turnipin Green. And... Uh, I would have been um, very, very aware of the airport growing from the late 60s to the 70s because I used to go to Mass there in the church. The church was built there in 1964. Would, would that have been your parish church? Well, it, it wasn't our parish church. Our Lark Hill was where I got confirmed and communion. But um, it always seemed to be a more glamorous church than Lark Hill Church. For example, it had no confession boxes. It was a church of ease, they call it. And sort of nobody in the airport had any, had any sins, you know. And everybody was very glamorous. Like when you were there, I was an altar boy. When you were uh, serving Mass, you had these, uh, you'd get the glints of the braid of the pilots down at the back. Uh, uh, they, they were coming in there. It was, it was a place of work. Hostesses, very glamorous. So it was, it was different than your normal parish church. Our Lady Queen of Heaven is the technical name. The airline industry and aviation in general was always a very glamorous industry. Did you yeah. notice that as a kid growing up in the airport? Basically? Oh yeah, well like Aer Lingus for example, the flagship of the nation Like you've got to remember that in the late 60s we were only um, like 40, 50 years going and um, the, the hostesses and, and pilots the, the, avi- the aviation industry was seen as sort of an ambassador for Ireland uh, proudly having the shamrock on it and I remember it was 1970. Um, I have a great photograph actually because there was a, there was a um, there was a magazine printed every month called Air Skelter, mm-hmm. uh, stories from the air or Air Skelter, Air Lingus stories from Air Lingus, like their their um, magazine for their workers, and made the front cover. We were blessing the first 747 to be received into Dublin Airport, the local uh, church parish church, Father Fenlon, uh, John Fenlon. He was the uh, 
the, the chaplain in Dublin Airport and then we had the Archbishop of Dublin. His name escapes me at the minute. But there's a photograph of us up on the parapet uh, blessing the, the aeroplane. Very much a part of old Holy Ireland, if you, if, you, if you would call it that. The history starts, it's an aerodrome mm. in, at the time, 1914, 1918. When we get our freedom, there was already an established air uh, facility there. So in 1939, um, they built, I think Desmond Fitzgerald was the name of the architect who built that beautiful sort of uh, sailing ship sort of thing. That's the there. former Taoiseach's brother. Brother, that's him, yeah. yeah. And uh, they, uh, they started um, Liverpool. Then it was suspended for the war. Mm. But the locals around there in the building of the airport saw it as a great, great boost to the area. Basically, what they were doing was were taking, they, were laying, uh, they were laying runways. Uh, mm. the labor. So it would have been seen as a great uh, boom to the area. But then as it grew, then you noticed it was taking over old farms by compulsory porches, like mm. the Duff farm, the Duff families, they had 3,000 acres in that vicinity and slowly but surely the airport ate into it. And they've done a couple of things. The most recent one, uh, there was a school facing Keeley's pub an old national school like the ones you see all over the country in the 18, in the 1900s. Um, yeah, the friction started when, when people like ourselves in the 60s and 70s and 80s were looking up and around seeing things going. We sort of said, Jesus, like, it's not all good. They are mm. pushing away uh, some of the old homesteads and farms and just, it, in particular, there was one clutch of houses called Collinstown Lane, which uh, was just brushed aside and a runway built on it and there was about maybe eight or nine families in there that would have been there 100 years it was built in 1901 so it it, it was a double edged sword uh, there was plenty of employment plenty of locals involved in the employment but on the other side there were things it's, I suppose everything's a compromise there were things brushed away and lost the only downside, I suppose, is that the, some of the old places just get overwhelmed and wiped away. And it's down to local historians like myself to make sure that the uh, that it's remembered. That there is a Clockland Historical Society. They call it the Clockland Hysterical Society sometimes. Uh, there's a thousand-year-old graveyard just on the doorstep. There's a small little enclave called Clockland, which, which is basically the Coachman's Inn. Mm. And a lot of people worked... Uh, frequented there who worked in the airport and one really good job that they did was a castle moat house which is across the way that's an old um, house an old farming uh, house upmarket from from a farming house but it survived and the kennels the dog club I think are in there and Airint or the DAA run some um, seminars and all that in so that was saved so that's good that's good Alan Kelly please go back courtesy telephone Nora, can you just tell me, you've just used the automated check-in machine. Have you used these before? Yes. How do you find them? They're fine. They work most of the time. My experience with them has been good. Can I ask you, where are you from? Dublin. So this is your local airport, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Do you like it? What do you think of the airport? It's grand. Yeah. Um, it takes a little bit longer to move around now that there's Terminal 2. Uh, because sometimes you have to go from one terminal to the other, but it's fine. I, I'm f- uh, flying with Aer Lingus to Heathrow. Do you think you're getting value for money now? I think the price was fine. Yeah. How far in advance would you would you have uh, booked your, your your seat? Week before last. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you look for? I mean, between airlines, price or mainly price and availability. Andrew McCahey. Andrew McCahey, and you're 
Rachel. And his older sister, Rachel. My name is Andrew, and I've just landed from Savona in Italy. Um, I was over trying to find work to live with my girlfriend um, in engineering, but I didn't get any work. Dublin Airport, you're, right. f- you're from Monaghan. Yes. This would probably be the closest airport to yeah. you, would it? Yeah, it only takes like an hour up the road to get to Monaghan. Yeah. Which is fine. So would you would you consider Dublin Airport your airport, your local Absolutely, airport? Absolutely, yeah. We'd have a choice between going here or going to Belfast or, what, Derry? But like, yeah, I wouldn't even no, consider it, no. though. Ah, yeah, well, you see the, the, the green fields when you're coming in and, uh, like, the wind blowing in your face when you get off the airplane. Oh, so when you get out of the uh, yeah. How many times um, would you have flown from Dublin? Um, in the last year, maybe about three or four. In in the summertime, I went over to Italy to teach English in summer camps, and then I came back from that. I travelled over a couple of times just for visits, and then in January I moved over there, like supposedly permanently, but then um, due to like the country and the no jobs, I suppose I came back. And just work here, which which is good. So, but bouncing over and back. Do you find now that your generation that it's easy for yeah. uh, you know to commute from country to country? Um, I wouldn't like to do it, but I I understand where you're coming from because, like, if you had to travel in a car or travel in an airplane, mm. you know. But you'd nearly you'd have to live very close to the airport, and also on the other side. Um, I live in Swords actually, so yeah. the airport is perfect for me yeah. but I mean before I lived in Swords getting in and out from the city centre you can take the bus that's fine but I mean I can see from a tourist point of view it, it's tricky and, like I mean every other city you go to has a train going to the city centre um, is there any other improvements that you would make to, 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 to the airport itself that's a difficult one <laughs> um, the Lewis is a good idea um, yeah, there's just free internet. That's great. <laughs> no, I can't. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything, which is a good thing. The security is is definitely fast because I was flying from an airport in Milan today, and they hadn't even all the security checkpoints open, which was crazy. So everyone was kind of jammed in like sheep. But uh, so here's always been quick for me. So you get in time for your flight if you're turning it and. Um, I don't know, just, just good places to eat. As stated there by Nora and then Andrew, the ease of movement through an airport is of paramount importance for passengers. Niall Green is a director of the Dublin Airport Authority and a seasoned air traveller. Niall explained some of the efforts carried out by the Dublin Airport Authority to assure ease of movement for its passengers. Now, one of, one of the things that people uh, did say to us in Vox Pops that we carried out in the airport is that the security in Dublin Airport seems to be a little bit faster uh, you know, than other airports, that people can actually do that, that they move through the airport a lot quicker. Well, that's not an accident. Mm-hmm. We've put a huge effort, particularly in the past two years, into not only speeding up the security but making it much more uh, comprehensive and effective and we spend a lot of money on it and at a time when budgets are constrained uh, we have not stinted on the um, 
on the security area. And it is true, you do get through security, um, not just faster, but in a more organised way mm. than you experience at a lot of airports, some of which are much bigger than, uh, than Dublin Airport. So we're rather proud, actually, of what we've achieved in the security area. And I presume if people are travelling, if you're travelling with a lot of kids or whatever, or even going to a business meeting, it can be a very stressful experience and the easier things are the, the, the more pleasanter experiences well I don't think going through security is ever going to be uh, a pleasant mm. experience no matter how well organised it is uh, even with these new technology scanners and so on it's still um, annoying I mean I have a, I have an artificial hip and uh, therefore I'm an expert on security systems and airports all over the place because I always get caught by the scanner there's that's something that a lot of people have to live with, with shoulders and knees and hips and what have you. Uh, but you have to be scanned and then you have to be frisked. And um, it's, um, it's just one of these things that we have to live with. I it's what you have to live with. We're spending, uh, we're spending a lot of time thinking about where the pinch points are at the airport. Mm. You know, where, you know, you've got plenty of capacity someplace and then you've got a uh, th- then you th- then you people get constrained and can't move and have to get into queues so w- a lot of time has been spent thinking out how to uh, get rid of those blockages so that you get a um, a, a better flow Louise Wilson, Willie Kerwin, John Dawson and Vincent Barrett. You all work in Dublin Airport and are all members of the Dublin Airport Police Band. But you're not all members of the Airport Police Service. Louise, what do you do? I'm the Emergency Response Planning Officer. Willie, I know you're in the fire service. I'm in the fire service, yes. Mm -hmm. And John? John is Security Training Instructor. And Vincent, you are? Airport police. Airport police. Why, I presume, first and foremost, you're all musicians. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) I asked Willie to briefly outline the band's history and to tell us about its formation. Initially, the band started off as an airport police fire service band because most of the members at the time of the band didn't play a musical instrument. After a while then, we decided that we had enough experience that we would open up other staff within the airport. Hence, Louise and John and other members of the staff joined the band. I then asked Louise, was it easy to find new members for the band and what kind of a commitment was involved with being a member of the band? It's not that easy because everybody's very, very busy with work and family life and a commitment to get in there and to come every week. But usually we we get the odd few interested and they'll come along and join in and we have them there for a couple of years then. Every Wednesday night and every second Monday we have rehearsal. So they're, they're quite intense rehearsals. We would perform I'd say between 10 and 12 times per year uh, especially within the airports we have certain occasions. Uh, we played recently at the handover the check of the charity check. Uh, before that just in December we played at the 20 millionth passenger coming through. We were invited to play mm. at that as well. So a lot of our engagements are in the airport but we do quite a bit around the uh, surrounding neighbourhood as well. You have how many members? 30? 26, 30. What, what, will you, what, what did they play? We play <coughs> a concert band to set up is what we have. We play clarinets, saxophones, 
trumpets, yeah. trombones, tenor sax, alto sax, French horn, oboe, bass clarinet, tuba, drums. Uh, the configuration could be a marching band, but our band's actually a sit-down uh, concert band. Airport police, when you do have passing out parades, does the band perform at that? Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, the, the discipline we, we cover is the airport police fire service, which covers mm. the fire service, the ambulance, which are paramedics, yeah. and the airport police. And yes, for passing out parades, we do uh, perform music. Uh, we've played for the previous two presidents, Mary McAleese and Mary Robinson, at a function in Coolock for the opening of a hospice. So you do come out into the North Dublin area, like we're in Coolock at the moment, and, and, and perform as well? Right Absolutely, then? yeah. We've just... Uh, we completed a concert in uh, Beaumont just last year for to raise money for to help raise money for two local schools there. Uh, before that, we've played in Ardgit Ardgillan Castle, up towards Balbriggan direction there. Uh, so yeah, so we're venturing out around the locale as well. Is Dublin Airport unique in having a staff band, or do any other international airports have one? Louise answered. Not that we know of. We seem to be the only ones. I had a look and can't find any other airport that has um, <laughs> an airport police band. Yeah. Lufthansa have a band and Swiss Air and have Swiss a band, Air have a band. A few, I think British Airways or maybe they're, mm. they're gone now airlines would have bands a few airlines have bands but an actual airport an airport police or fire service at the airport everybody's welcome now within Dublin airport all, all staff Really, yeah. we've had a <coughs> flight engineer playing tenor sax from uh, Ryanair a number mm. of years ago and then he was restationed to London Luton we also had the chief pilot from the emergency helicopter playing tuba with us for a while before he went back to England. As I say, passing and when, when you're working shift work at the airport, you're there 24-7, it feels like. Mm-hmm. So you do have contact with a lot of staff. And yes, music being the international language that it is, we are a community band. Therefore, the airport community is, is all included in it. With mm-hmm. shift work, you, you may have the odd Wednesday and the odd Monday off every four cycle, which is every four weeks. So it's a big commitment to come down and rehearse. But we try our best and we do we do facilitate as many staff as possible with our shift work. We have a premises at the moment in, in the in Dublin Airport. Yeah. Uh, where we have our own room so we have a, a band hall. They are quite supportive of us, uh, right from the very top, right from our chief executive officer Kevin Toland coming down. People are very uh, very supportive of us and we get called out where before in uh, previous years it was a case of where we were going touting for the, the gigs. Yeah. And now they're actually coming to us, asking us, can we play at this? Can we play at certain functions yeah, yeah. within mm-hmm. the airport and around? No discussion of Dublin Airport or the history of the airport can take place without touching on what was called the Shannon Stopover Protocol. Now, this protocol ensured that all transatlantic aircraft were required to stop at Shannon in County Clare. Timmy Dooley is Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on transport and as a Clare Dáil deputy is well placed to comment on not only the historical now defunct stopover protocol but on Dublin Airport in general. But I think uh, over the last number of years uh, a very significant investment has gone into the development uh, of Terminal 2 that has brought up the capacity of the airport very significantly uh, and you know architecturally uh, and from a user's perspective um, really puts in place a a world-class facility 
Um, having a world-class facility in place does not guarantee uh, that you're going to get more people through it, uh, and that's why there has to be the continued effort uh, of management and staff uh, in the Dublin Airport Authority to work with airlines uh, and regions and tourism operators to grow and develop our tourism industry. But from an infrastructural point of view, uh, the airport uh, is, to a, is now built out to a very high standard. Wearing your County Clare public representative's hat, the troubled history between the two airports, Shannon and Dublin Airport, particular relation to the compulsory stopover, has that hindered, or did that historically hinder, the, the development or the progress of Dublin Airport? I don't think it did. Um, I think it, it became, towards the end, an inconvenience for business passengers who wanted to get directly between cities on the east coast of America uh, and, uh, and Dublin. Um, but I think the, 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 the stopover day one um, ensured that airlines serviced the tourism market directly uh, on the west of Ireland, where predominantly uh, tourists uh, want to come and visit. I, I think the airlines now have a good system in place uh, that they service both regions, um, adequately, uh, Dublin from a tourism and a business point of view, and the West of Ireland from a tourism uh, and a business point of view. So I think the, the initial uh, existence of the Shannon uh, stopover, if you want, helped to develop that region. Um, and as a result, now the two can operate uh, side by side, catering for two very different markets. Uh, I don't think, in, from a long-term point of view, that it has had any negative impact. Uh, in fact, I suppose it has created competition now uh, which is helpful for the entire island of Ireland. The government nominate board members to the Dublin Airport Authority. Can I ask you specifically, worker directors, uh, would you be in favour of worker directors in the airport? Yeah, in any state company, uh, the state generally appoints people uh, with requisite skills and experience uh, to act as board directors uh, to manage the affairs of the company in line with duties uh, of directors. Uh, in, in all state companies, the workers are represented through uh, worker director positions. Um, different companies have different numbers, but generally it's two. Uh, and these positions uh, are generally filled from within uh, the pool of workers, and it's usually by way of ballot. So the government, as such, doesn't appoint the worker directors, uh, but it facilitates their presence on the board um, through the initial establishment uh, of the board and setting aside um, the appropriate number of, of positions for, 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 for work representatives. And it is vital that any effectively uh, operating state company would have a, a significant input at board level uh, from workers. At the end of the day, you, you must recognise that workers are on the ground, they know what's going on, and oftentimes their views and ideas in the past hadn't been taken into account. But through the worker directorship role, um, it means that from a development of a vision or from a strategic development of the company, that the workers are right in there at the heart of the decision-making process, setting forward a vision for the future uh, and, as I said, ensuring that I mean, the company is best served in the long run, the country is best served, uh, and in the case of Dublin Airport Authority, those who ultimately use the facilities and services there are best represented by having that input. Timmy Dooley, Opposition Spokesperson on Transport. Thank you very, very much for that. My name is Fanula May and I'm County Architect with Fingal County Council. Fanula, we want to talk to you about the original airport building, the original terminal building in Dublin, uh, Dublin Airport. Can you tell us anything about that? 
Uh, I can and delighted to. The building is known as the old central terminal building and it's an amazing uh, building. It is an enduring monument to the spirit of Irish modernism in the 1930s and has survived uh, almost intact uh, and unaltered to this day. It was designed in the spring of 1937 by a team of architects at the Office of Public Works under the direction of Desmond Fitzgerald. The, the former Taoiseach's Brother, brother think, yeah. elder brother, yeah. And it was built between 1938 and 1940. Um, it was very revolutionary at the time. It was constructed using a reinforced concrete frame with cantilevered balconies at each end and it was designed with a symmetrical curved plan rising in stages through five levels. It really is um, the most elegant and graceful example of what we architects call the international style in Ireland. And the plan is curved and this was deliberately chosen to provide more parking space for the aircraft than a straight line would. Um, the curved form with the long horizontal lines that it has and the open cantilevered viewing platforms and railings that were bowed at the ends combined together, um, I think, to convey an impression of the dynamics of transportation. And it, that was one of the things it was seeking to, to convey. And the, the theme is also continued with the layout of the landscaped approach to the building on the landward side. The approach to the building together with the building itself, if you look at it in an aerial view, um, you nearly have the overall outline of an aeroplane. And Recently, uh, this landscape approach has been restored and it also accounts for the configuration of the what we now call the loop, the land bridge con uh, connecting Pier D back to the airport. And that's why it has that looped form, was to pre preserve this approach to the very important building. Constructing the building during the war with Ireland's isolation and the shortages really was nothing short of miraculous and there are fascinating historical um, photographs of the workers and the site during the construction period uh, showing very low-tech methods uh, including the use of horses believe it or not and uh, there's one great photograph um, of the workers leaving the site en masse all on bicycles um, this beautifully designed and pioneering out of exa example of what was then a relatively new building type earned for Desmond Fitzgerald the RIAI Triennial Gold Medal in 1943. Now while acclaimed by the architecture profession here in Ireland it did not, it did not however receive int the international recognition which it deserved due to the wartime censorship mm. and in fact it wasn't published in magazines and journals until 1945. So it was sort of a Cinderella building for ages this jewel that had been constructed in mm. Ireland um, at that time. Was it a very brave move by the Irish government at the time to, to, to forge ahead with international aviation in the middle of a world war? It was, absolutely. Yeah. And to pick such an innovative design that really, it, it um, to me, it still contained the, the aura of the hopefulness of the, of the new state of Ireland. And this was Ireland for, forging ahead into the modern age in spite of the awful situation that the whole of, of Europe was in at the time. And it showed a remarkable um, uh, confidence in yeah. that Ireland was going to come through this and, and go on into the, the 40s and 50s as a, uh, an international player in the world of aviation. It was probably the start of our acclaimed reputation in aviation. It was. Thank you for listening to this, the first episode of Gateways, a four-part documentary on and about Dublin Airport. 
Gateways is produced by Ger Ledden and funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Scheme. Binary twin Charlie Papa, wind 220 degrees, 21 knots. Straight ahead, 90, runway 28, clear takeoff, bye bye. Clear for takeoff, runway 28, Ryanair 81, Charlie Papa, bye.